What's going on, Macromob family? I'm Sean, joined as usual by my co-host, Damien. And if you didn't know, <laughs> now you know, we're completely unqualified and uninterested with providing you with financial, social, legal, and life advice. Uh, today, we have a good two of our Speak Easy, Speak Freely series, where we bring a guest on and just allow them to speak their mind. Uh, today, we have Sage from Sage News. Um, his content is a way is a way to view the world through the lens of logistics. He's very knowledgeable about every form of the supply chain, even when it comes to trucking, dispatching, um, brokers. So also what's going on globally. So Sage, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So Sage, I wanted to start this off. I was hoping that you could kind of explain to us what initially happened with the supply chains when the government's response was to lock everything down, how and how is that different is going on currently, or is it different? Yeah, so kind of what happened is, is uh, the best way to understand this is um, logistics works on consistency, right? We all we all want consistency, so uh, we have two systems with that, and one was what we call just in time, and just in time, what that did was eliminate the need to have warehousing and, and property for the warehousing and then ship it from there. So with, unfortunately, with algorithms and data collection and uh, allegedly watching everything we buy, um, but we, in logistics, we kind of know what people need before they know what they need, right? So there are times where some of the, you know, warehouses and things like that, we can actually, with the software, we know, you know, every month they need, you know, another shipment of this or every two months they need another shipment of this. And you have that consistency. And what that consistency does is it allows just in time, meaning JIT, to get you the freight when you need it, right when you need it. Uh, the automotive industry is huge on this. Um, they're rolling stuff in the door just as they're running out of it. So what happened with the vid was it destroyed that consistency and one it shut things down so we weren't able to get things but it caused people to buy a bunch of stuff that they didn't normally buy we broke that consistency um, because people were panic buying and they were buying this and they were buying you know a lot more of this and a lot more of that and that's why governments come up and say oh whoa, 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 don't do this it's you know you're everything's gonna be okay well that massive ordering caused like a knee-jerk reaction Right. So once we were able to start to get the stuff, a whole bunch of ordering went in because people are like, uh, why am I out of this? I shouldn't be out of this. I better order 17,000 trailers of it so that this doesn't happen again because people are buying, you know, endless amounts of toilet paper and I have none. Um, and that caused, a, like I said, just knee jerk reactions of a whole bunch of stuff coming in and it broke our consistency. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. So. When those waves of things started coming back in and we started ordering all this stuff, normally other systems that we have um, are not just in time. They'll are warehouses and distribution centers, right? So Walmart has a warehouse and a distribution center. Well, that warehouse is normally filled to a certain capacity. They, they try, like I said, let's use toilet paper. They don't want the toilet paper to get down under 30% or 40%. So they constantly keep it there or more. So when that emptied out, there was a massive rush to get it to the distribution center first, right? Because they can't just let you keep buying it. So they have to, you know, fill the dam before they let anything out of that 
and start going. So that's where we started to see our shortages is because they were going to fill their, their dams before they released it down to us. That makes sense so far. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, the problem was (laughs) China and all of their um, shipping and logistics and their ports and things like that. And the size of their vessels, they are way more prepared to be able to ship massive amounts of goods than we are to receive. So even though we were ordering this stuff and the orders were going through, when they were hitting the ports, the ports had, our, at least our ports, had no chance to keep up with their ports. They could ship a lot more. They have a lot more larger vessels um, and to come over here. So what ended up happening also is when we were shut down, we have, we call them cans or containers. We have a whole bunch of empty containers going to the ports or going places that are filling up the ports like Tetris. So now you're playing a game of Tetris, right? You want to bring in 10,000 containers, so you, but you've got, you're full over here. So you're, we're working on that top two rows of Tetris, trying to figure out, okay, what do we do before the thing overflows? And that's those empty containers were filling up our ports because all these other containers were coming in. And rather than, you know, waiting normally we wait for those containers to be filled to go back and we just we were having there was nothing to fill them with right so we were just at some point we're just like okay take the empties we can't we can't fill them get them out of here we need them out of here so we had a port that was full of empties and we had a massive flow of goods coming in that our ports were just not and in 2015 they actually did a report saying hey if there's any type of breakdown here, we're in real trouble because we cannot handle the amount of freight that our people buy and the amount of uh, goods that China can put out and give and deliver to us. We can't handle it. And then, of course, you had the state of, sorry if either one of you from this, um, China-fornia, also known as California. Um, their board, everybody, the port itself is controlled by 10 people. Los Angeles has five and Long Beach have five. Those people are appointed by the mayor. So the actual port is controlled by the city in which it's in, Long Beach and Los Angeles. And they kind of set the rules. So they're not true logistics people. I think one of them was only in logistics out of the 10. Other ones are business people and stuff like that. So when this came in, there was literally no place to put containers. There was no room and we couldn't keep up because of that knee jerk reaction of, of just bring it all in, bring it in, bring it in. People are buying stuff. I'm confused. And then it sat there. And then, so the government came, basically everybody came in and said, what do we do now? So is that kind of explained what happened? Do you have any questions of kind of what happened before I get out to what they did? Well, I, I was just thinking, I was like, that's kind of counterintuitive for most people to think about because we know with the United States, you know, one of the things that they always broadcast is like what a large naval force we have. So you right. would think that that would that would coincide with us being very prepared at the ports and then also combine that with that. We are a nation of consumers. Right. China is the one who exports everything. So you would think in order to keep up this consumerism, which we need in order to pay all this sovereign debt, all of that, that we would have our ports together. But I am not surprised right. when you state that officials aren't necessarily behind the veil is um, it's, it's a broken supply chain. Yeah. Our, our military support San Diego. 
right? So it's just south of that where we got our most of our military support is. So this port, we don't run 24 seven. Um, the trucks don't come in 24 seven. We weren't running and where China was running automated 24 seven. Like they, you could have ships pull along ships, pull along ships and their cranes will go out and, and strip containers. The other problem, and I'm going to say it is the decision that Trump made in regards to, um, the trade war with China. Okay. Now it, it, the decisions that he makes business-wide may or may not be great. That's up to, you know, to, I'm not deciding any either way for anybody. But to go to go after the China with a trade war was good. But just to say, hey, we're going to do this, there's a lot of other ripples in the pond that you have to think of when you go ahead and you do this trade war, saying, hey, we're going to put a tariff on this. Because what happened was when he did that, it he basically slowed the flow of shipping. I mean, he sped up the, sh- the, the, the flow of shipping going back, right? Let me explain. So if, in, in, in trucking, what we call drop and hook. If you do drop and hook, meaning you drop a trailer, hook to another one, and leave, things go a lot faster, right, compared to go and lo- wait and be loaded and then leave, okay? That, that's, so if you put a driver on to do nothing but drop and hooks, he can do more loads than a driver who has to live load. With me so far? Okay. So what happened was is with the trade war, a lot of the stuff that we were getting, we didn't ship back. So it was easier for them just to throw empty containers on there and go. So they were going back faster than normal because they didn't have to pick up loaded. They just grabbed a bunch of empties. Just throw all the empties on there. Just throw them on. Let's go. No, And they went right back with empties. So rather than come back here, pick up some loaded's, and possibly deliver to Japan or South Korea, they just went right back because we, we didn't have any goods to give them. Plus, we were in a trade war, so people were like, well, I just won't buy. I'll just wait until this trade thing's over. So they were going back faster and then coming back faster because they had no other stop-offs to deliver, and that also sped up the situation. So rather than say, okay, hang on, <laughs> we need to control this, this super flow of sending things back, nothing that wasn't handled at all. So that also sped up the flow of ships coming back. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, kind of what I, I was a little, I mean, the news was a little critical of, or a lot critical of, um, Pete Buttigieg with the supply uh, issues and particularly the ports. But from, from what you're explaining, it sounded like we had nowhere else to send those empties. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, he's, he's and his department's been quite quiet, but what else, were there other things they could have done? Could they have trained, put them on trains and send them somewhere else to open up the ports? What were the, what were yeah. the available options? The issue is that the, the trades were also full also, right? Because they're they're in, in that flow and stuff like that. And, of course, now you have people, the, and then you have people sitting at home making $600, so they don't want to come back and work at the port. They don't want to, you know, extra, I'm sorry, extra $600 a week. Um, so they don't want to come back. So there's a shortage of people. So the issue with, with Pete, again, I, I don't care. I'm not looking at somebody saying he's an idiot, he's this, he's that, is, 
these people that are put in some of these positions have no no understanding. Logistics is very hard to understand, right? It is not something that you can grasp because you have to be able to look five steps ahead to say, okay, what's going to happen if I do this? So I think what he thought or what they were thinking is, hey, this will work its way out, right? Trucks will come in. Customers will pay more money. They'll come in. They'll grab this stuff, and it'll work its way out. It always has. But the problem was it was such a large flow that he was in kind of over his head. And then, of course, you know, he took his time off. But rather than say, okay, I have an emergency here. What do I do? I mean, some of the things that could have been done is is they're like, well, what about the National Guard? We... One of the things that could have been done was the National Guard could have came in and there was actually an Air Force base. Is it south? Yeah, just south where that's no longer being used, right? They could have pulled all those empty cans and, and cleared up some room so we weren't playing Tetris. That would have been one thing. And then you could have had the National Guard just say, look, grab those cans, take them down there and drop them. I don't care. Get a forklift over there, put them in the grass. I don't care. Stack them. In, let's go. Get them over there. Uh, that's one of the things that could have been done. The uh, the other thing that, uh, you know, but remember, for that to happen, these ports are not controlled by the federal government. We only control them if they, we say that, hey, this is a state of emergency. And technically, if you want to think about it, it's like martial law on the port. We're now there. The government is now taking over the port. OK, uh, it's there's a. You know, I'm I'm kind of breaking it down so you guys so everybody understands. You know, if I'm, so everybody's watching like that's actually now. Well, I understand, but I'm giving the best way to explain this. So we have to basically do say, hey, war. Obviously, that's our port now. We're, it's ours. There, but there has to be a state of emergency where the national guard comes in and now takes control of the decision making. Because if you're a mayor, you don't want the federal government just taking things over. It could, it's it's a power struggle, right? So now you have to weigh that option. You have to weigh National Guard and working with unions and see how that works out, right? But so so that's something that every you have to make these decisions and decide, okay, do we do this? And what are the legal reference? Because we're going to get sued by somebody. Somebody's going to sue us, you know, over there because we're doing this. You know, as any lawyer would easily jump on that for the union saying, hey, you can't do this. So, but there were some decisions. Like I said, you could have done that. Um, you could have allowed containers to be hauled out like oversized freight. You cannot create an overdimensional aspect with multiple pieces. Okay. So if you're hauling something that's overweight, if you can take one off and put it on another truck, you can't do it. It's, it's a multiple piece. But what you could have did was wave that and said, look, you can only permit what you could normally permit for weight, meaning, you know, adding extra weight, but it's only for containers. So now two containers could be on one truck and we could get two containers out of there. So, uh, that was a decision that could have been, you know, been made that it wasn't made. Um, so there was a lot of things that could have been done that I think he was just in over his head and it's extremely overwhelming. Uh, because like I said, you look out the window and there's all these ships over here and it's like, I, I have no idea what to do. How do we even do this? And a lot of people are like, well, you we just got to kind of let it, let it flow. There's not much we can do when there is, if they're, if they would have came to the right people and said, okay, let's take a look at what we got and let's get, let's get this handled. Yeah. It's interesting. I, Cause I, I think some of those people in charge were, were able to take enough time to, 
to take vacation days uh, while everything was going on. So we've had two years. We've had two years of that, right? So that was that was almost two years ago when those disruptions started. So what what's what's the issue currently? Is or is it is it the exact same thing that's going on right now? Is there or is there some subtlety, some nuance? Well, a lot of the things that's going on now in regards to there's still normally there should be about four ships in in the Anchorage area, right? At, at one point, I think there was 109, 110. Um, I don't hold me to that number. I'm pretty sure it's around there was the max, right? 110, let's just say. Um, and there was no place to anchor and, you know, you got ships dropping anchor and, sli- you know, anchor sliding and pulling pipelines and you know what I mean? So there was a lot of stuff in that area. So they started to say, look, you, you guys got to go away. Just go. We're going to sweep you underneath the, the rug here so we can't see you and hope somebody else finds you. Um, but what they did was is they pushed these ships out and they started threatening to make charge, you know, char- back charges and stuff like that, um, that we would have paid anyways, just to kind of s- handle that flow of things. Right. They didn't want them just hanging out there and rushing in. And I think a lot of the decision that they made to say, look, Go 200 miles off. We'll call you when we when we're ready. Um, the port didn't have that authority technically to do that, but ships were doing it because even though it's like somebody might not have the authority, but if they tell you to do it, they might have other authority on you, right? So they can't tell you to go away, but once you get in my port, I could do a whole bunch of other you know other stuff. So it was decisions that they were making to kind of push them out. Now. I think the decision that they, one of the reasons they did that is because ships had to run, normally they'll run a generator, right? They're in port, they're just running their generators, they're running their motors, they're not burning as much fuel, you know, they can kind of sit there. But if they're out 200 miles out, there's not so much, uh, you have to run motors, you have to be, you know, engines, bigger engines, use more fuel and stuff like that. I think it was more of the fact that, okay, let's see if we can get this under, the flow under control, push back from the funnel right now. And then slow the stuff in. But what's happening now is we have a lot of shortages. I have two theories on this. We have a lot of shortages, one for for manpower and goods and everything else um, coming in. But I think the first thing that they did was fill those warehouses, right? Because there's no need to just, you know, for it just to flow. I got to control the flow of that dam. The other issue is, like I said, is that we are a consumer. We buy goods. We love buying goods. That's what we do. We bring a lot of goods in. So we're down to about 40 ships, I think I last checked. 40, 45, depending on when this airs. Um, So we're working down on that, but it takes a lot of time because there are constantly other things that pop up in logistics that might fluctuate. There could be a storm. There could be you know, tornadoes that go through Arkansas that now we need transformers or wires and and trucks for that. So we still have that. We're working on it, but when you disrupt it that much, we don't have the capacity in trucks to be able to fix it that fast. If that makes sense. I, um, I watched one of your videos recently and you were, I think it might've been earlier this week and you were really showing the, the flow of ships. Uh, around around the world and and what i was surprised to learn was how much of the ships 
go into basically just two ports uh, in California. And I was wondering why, you know, I guess from a very simplistic view, uh, I'm in Florida and we're always talking about ports and there's, there's Baltimore, there's uh, all sorts of things on the East Coast. Is there a reason why um, the ships just aren't routed somewhere else? Yeah, or, I mean, the, if the problem is still, we don't have enough trucks and things, it, maybe it wouldn't matter. But I, I just had kind of a question if I was missing something. No, if, the, if stuff's coming from, let's say, China, you're, what a freight forwarder is going to do is a freight forwarder is going to go to a customer and they're going to say, okay, you, you order from China, here's our port options. Our port options are, um, let's say, up in Seattle or Tacoma area, and then Long Beach, those are our ports coming from China. Um, now, if you're in California or you're in that, that port's probably usually a cheaper port to come into. You might have contracts. I might, as a freight forwarder, I might have negotiated a really good contract with a container vessel. Then that, if that container vessel goes into Long Beach, that might be my better rate that I can get. Um, but I might offer another rate up into, um, let's say, Tacoma, Seattle. You know that those one of those ports, but it might be more expensive for it to go to that port than the other one. It costs approximately, depending on the size of the ship and what you're hauling, about a million dollars to go through the Panama Canal. So for a container ship to go through that Panama Canal, um, and there's actually a website that I, I've shown this before, I'd have to pull it up, the, um, that will tell you approximately how much your fee is going to be to run through there. And it could be a million dollars added on to your container to go through that Panama to come around to Florida. So now you got that fee is going to get factored in. Um, before you get over to that East Coast. So a lot of times there is a, like one of the um, the routes on the West Coast is if you were to leave um, Long Beach as a U.S. vessel, you do Long Beach, Japan, South Korea, China, Long Beach. Long Beach, and you just do that pattern. You're just, that's a constant pattern. So if I need something on a certain time frame, this vessel is my best option to get this one loaded. Here's the price. So it's also worked on when do I need it delivered? What vessel is making that turn? What stage is of the process is it in? Is it already past China and heading back? Darn, I got to find another one. You know, if I needed something in China because I got to wait for him to make a whole loop again. So it's a lot more than just, um, hey, just go right to this port and go this port, right? It's got a, where is he on the turn? You know, is he going to Oakland? Okay, I can wait this long. I can't wait this long. So that's kind of putting all those pieces of the puzzles together. It, sometimes it's not always just about, hey, just get go from here to here. It could be money. It could be time. It could be contracts um, and things like that. And some container ships negotiate better contracts with ports saying, hey, I want to be unloaded first. You know what I mean? So they can get unloaded first where other ones, you know, might have to pay extra money saying, well, I'll pay for you to unload me. I'll pay extra if you unload me. If you, I'll pay extra if you bring in another crew. Um, but that's kind of a lot of stuff that's weighed into the port deliveries. You can't, can you get a, uh, we have something in Florida called a sun pass for all the tolls. Can you get one for the Panama Canal that gives you a discount? <laughs> yeah, probably not. That'd be great. Um, and even that's backed up. But yeah, it's not a cheap, uh, it's not a cheap canal to come through. Um, and, and, you know, and it's not, 
very large it compared to it was not designed for some of the ships that now they get through, but they're definitely not designed for some of the larger vessels we have now that, I mean, we went from 8,000 containers, let's say ships to 20,000 container ships. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty big ships. Right. And of course, when, when it, whenever their, their inputs or their prices go, go up, that's always going to be passed, passed down to the consumer. Correct. Yeah. So it's about a 30 day process. Okay. So there's a 30 day lag. So now, Let's just look, let's portend into the future. Let's look six months out, a year out. Do you see do you see prices still being at an elevated level or do you see things starting to stabilize or come down? Yeah, so in shipping, and I know I do all the talking, uh, but in shipping, it's one of those things that it, when, I hear this a lot from drivers, right? Drivers are always like, hey, don't move any freight unless it's $3 a mile. Well, the problem with shipping is, when shipping goes up, inflation goes up because shipping touches everything so many times. Um, I just did a video on it. I could actually pull up if I needed to. I could pull up it and, and you and send it to you. Um, shipping touches things so many times that if shipping prices go up, customers have to pass that on. There's just there's uh, if you want to buy it, I got to charge it. So if my price goes from two dollars a mile to pay a truck to four dollars a mile, well, your sneakers are going to be more expensive. I don't know the price. You know, they might go up 10 bucks. They might go up 20 bucks. It, it all depends on how much that shipping is. So normally a container from China approximately at this time back to the United States was about $4,000. It's about $14,000 right now. Okay. So that price has gone up. Uh, now you, you add, you know, fuel on that and sitting times and and trucking and things like that this is why we're seeing a lot of inflation people are like well w- why is this going up it, because shipping costs drop and drive inflation they drive they drive it now where does we go from here is it all depends on where is our breaking point in in society where's your breaking point how much is what you know what's your number that you're gonna be like dude i'm not buying 25 dollars peanut butter like at destruction. Point, right at what point do you say I'm not paying for that? It's that supply and demand, right? A lot of truck drivers are like, you know, they, truck prices are solely driven on supply and demand, supply and demand. So if there is still a demand, those prices are going to start keep creeping up until people basically say, I, I, I don't, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. So I have to stop buying that, which then, would drive down prices because I no longer, you know, if you're not going to pay for it and I can't sell it to you for 25 bucks, I don't, it's going to sit. Right. So that same thing happens in, in logistics. At what point does the freight start to slow down that trucking companies put their prices down and and everybody starts to kind of lower those prices. Now we have contracted rates. You guys had me on. It's too much information. I know I, I could be here for hours. So we have contracted rates and we have spot market rates, right? A contracted rate is something that I negotiate with you for three months, for six months, for a year. I'm going to haul this for the same price plus fuel. Let's say it's $2 plus a fuel surcharge. So let's say it's $225. Every load I take for you, it's $225. That's a contracted rate. That's consistency. Businesses are built on consistency, right? That's what they want. Spot market is when I can't fill that 225, it ends up to the spot market. And the spot market bids on it, basically, and says, well, I can do it for $4. 
And then I call the customer and I say, all right, closest truck I've got right now wants $4. What do you want to do? And the customer's either going to say, yeah, I got to do it. Or they're going to say, nope, I'll, I have to call my customer. We might have to figure something out. We don't have that much in it. You know, we'll take a loss, blah, 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 blah. So the contracted rates have now started to lock in at a higher price than ever before. So where we're kind of at now in shipping is, I think it's, I don't hold me this number exactly, but I think it was like 80 cents higher than where we were. So we're, we're almost 80 cents higher. So I don't see, I'm not going to lower my contract just because prices go down at this point. So I'm starting to see that inflation go up, but with shipping, they're starting to lock that in. So I don't see us going down much for a while, but we could go up if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, So that's, you're just, you're just kind of revalidating my point of in my head, kind of where I see things going, because when we talk about that demand destruction, you know, I see a future where yes, prices might come a little bit lower, but they're going to be remain higher than they were two years ago. Right. So you're, you're still eating that cost all the way around energy inputs, supply chains, all of that is connected. Of course, everybody has to pay that. So I've just been recently, I've just been trying to think deeply about this to see if there are, because, you, you know, people will say like, oh, no, 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 eventually everything's going to crash. But like when it comes to consumer staples or things that you need to survive, you know, even if that, like you can put off a sneaker purchase, but when it comes to what you need to eat, people have different um, food needs, family members, all those things, you have to pay those prices. So right. that just kind of supports what I was thinking about that, you know, th these prices, eh, they're going to stay there. Well, it's hard too, because it, 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 let's say I pay you $15 an hour, right? Six, $16 an hour. Um, what happens when I come to you and say, ah, I can't afford it anymore. Now I got to pay you 12. You're, you're gone, right? It, it's very difficult to lower wages. I mean, pay cuts, it's very difficult to, to go to a pay cut and not lose somebody to another position. It would, it, I'm not going to take a pay cut. I'm out of here. I'll find something else. You know, even if it's something else where you're starting a little bit less, people are angry that you cut my pay. You gave me something and now you took it away. And a lot of times people, it's now you have an angry employee. They might stay for a little bit, but they're not as productive. Um, they don't feel they should have to work, you know, any harder to earn back the money that they have already were getting before. <laughs> and now you cut their pay. So it, it, it becomes a, a difficult thing to take money away once you've given money. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I think um, it. this might be a good time to lead us into um, robots. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, you know, uh, it, just, just for some of the viewers, it, it's something like 65% of the food that we eat comes by truck. Um, I saw a report from McKinsey, which is a worldwide uh, consulting firm. And McKinsey believes that, you know, automated trucking is really going to be at least somewhat in place in 2027. Uh, there's been a lot of articles this year about driver shortages. I think the trucking industry loses three drivers for every one they have. And there's, there was a crazy statistic that about the average truck driver only keeps their job for about a year. Um, right. there, there were 
a lot of, you know, there it's a, it's a tough job because not, not just the hours, but oftentimes the drivers don't get paid for when they're sitting at the ports waiting to be loaded or when they have dropped something off, that's, that's money that they're losing. Uh, it's expensive to maintain a truck, all of those things. Um, I think I, it, the numbers say it's about a dollar 82 per mile to truck goods. Uh, and McKinsey is predicting about a 45% drop if we were totally automated. So that would bring things down to maybe about a dollar a mile. What I, what I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, assuming that the trucking and I, John, I sent Sean, I think an article on this and maybe we can find it, but it looks like they're going to roll out automated trucking in stages. Mm -hmm. So initially uh, what we have now is people driving trucks and then it would be, um, a driver operating a truck followed by an automated vehicle and then getting eventually to the place where, um, the human drivers are really just to, uh, for pickup and drop off. Uh, mm -hmm. and then they would move those employees into, um, maintenance and testing and development. So I, I'd love to know a bit about, you know, your thoughts on the automated trucking, where we are, where we, you know, where, where we may be in, in a short time, I mean, 2027 is around the corner. Um, and uh, where where you think we'll kind of see it first? I've heard the south uh, south of the U.S. Um, and uh, that's just thought I, it's something very interesting. Yeah, so you're basically looking for a ton of hate comments by truck drivers. Got it. <laughs> so just so everybody knows, um, I have my CDL. I was driving since I was 20 years old. I uh, when I was 21, I drove for Schneider. I drove over the road. Um, I drove locally. I drove for U.S. Food Service and a couple other places. I joined the Coast Guard. Uh, I did, you know, I was a federal law enforcement officer in the Coast Guard and and a MK3, which was you know a mechanic. Left the Coast Guard, uh, jumped into a, a lease truck with new uh, CR England. I said this is crazy. Bought my own truck. Um, drove for La FedEx Custom Credible. Drove for Landstar uh, tractor trailer, um, and then became a Landstar agent. And then from there opened up another brokerage, opened up my own brokerage. And now I'm an afraid agent and an analyst. Um, now, so everybody knows that just so everybody kind of understands that I'm not just some freight broker that hasn't been behind the wheel of a tractor trailer. Uh, my dad was a truck driver. So I, I understand this. So, uh, just wanted to throw that out there before the shots fired. Okay. So in regards to self-driving truck, it's a, it's, it's easy to, to understand kind of what they're doing. The right now you ha we have to compete with countries like China for goods. Okay. If I want to sell my goods and, and there, and I'm competing with someone like China, the cost of the goods itself is about the same. Okay. So labor is a huge factor in competing with China. If I've got to pay you, I think I did this on one of my shows. It cost me like $20,000 just to hire you, right? Pay your taxes, pay your insurance, give you time off. So if it's $15 an hour, it's like $17 or $18 an hour, okay? So if I've got to pay you $15, $18 an hour to do this, and they can do it for five, I'm getting whooped, okay? So I'm competing against other countries for goods because you're going to buy a T-shirt from China for a lot cheaper, then you're going to buy a t-shirt from, from an American t-shirt, let's say that costs $40 compared to one that costs $10, right? For your kids. Let's just say your kids are going to grow out of it, so on and so on, which is fine. 
Well, one of the ways that we have to be able to compete and we'd have to be able to pull away from China and other countries is automation. We have to be able to, because you, you're not going to make less money. So we have to pull away from that to, to be more competitive because everybody's like, well, we should just make everything here. Well, then we have to be automated because I can't afford to make it here and still sell it to you for the same price that China can do it for. Right. So what China's even doing is they're going with self-driving trucks. And that's where some of the Belt Road Initiative roads that they have is nothing but military and self-driving vehicles. I mean, that's all that's going to be on these roads. Um, so we basically have to jump into that same thing very quickly because they're already entering it. Now, the way it's coming to come out, people need to think of this. This first thing is the same as the railroad. Okay. At one time, we moved things by horse and buggy. Very slow. You had to feed the horse. If the horse, you know, something happened, got hurt, things like that. It was slow moving. Then we came out with the railroad. And there was even a, I think, I can't remember the president's name, but he even said, there's no way this railroad's going to go. These things are low, loud and noisy and fire shoots out the tops of their things and they're going to burn down things and they're a horrible idea. It's never going to go. But what the railroad did is the same as tr self-driving trucks are doing is when they built the railroad, they built a railroad. They built spurs. So they would go, I'm going to just use simple, simple runs. Uh, they went from Boston to a short distance to Connecticut, right? They just built these small spurs and they just ran freight on that small spur and delivering. Okay. So what they're doing in trucking is the same thing. They're going, I'm just going to use simple cities. They're going from forward to Dallas over and over and over and over again until the truck learns that route. That truck is building a digital railroad that it's going to stay on its rail in on its rails. Okay. And it is learning that rail. And right now we're at the ask, we're at the point where drivers are behind the wheel and helping it learn. They're only jumping in when they have to jump in. Okay. Um, and they're doing it from other cities. They might be doing it from Albuquerque to Colorado and back in Albuquerque. And that's all this thing does. So the amount of time that truck, every time that truck does that run, it learns it a little bit more each and every time it does it. Okay. Now it built a rail spur, but instead of a rail, instead of a train, it's a truck. Does that kind of make, make sense. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a lot like um, in, uh, when I lived in DC, I worked at a place that, I mean, this was in the early 2000s and we had mail delivered by robots. And what happened is they they taught they taught them on a like a painted track mm -hmm. and they would do that. And then eventually they were just following the same track over and over and over again, going between the buildings. Because all this truck sees is, is the rails. It sees the rails that it was just programmed. It laid down a digital rail, a digital railroad the truck is, is driving on. OK, so what that allows that now we can take that driver out of that and put him someplace else. We can have him do um, what we call last mile, which would be like UPS, FedEx, stuff like that, where they're delivering to the door. We can have him do a different run that's not been railed out yet. Uh, we can have him, you know, so now you're taking that one driver and putting it into a place that we need him someplace else. So. And, and if you pull up, you can actually pull up what states allow self-driving trucks. You'll see the states that are going are the southern states right now. 
um, all the way across because that's where you have some better weather. You don't have ice. You don't have snow. We don't even have to at this point. The trucks don't even have to deal with that. If they just run the southern area, drivers will have to go to the northern area. Right. You're, you're at least taking that one driver out one at a time. Um, and it, it's at a, and I argue with drivers all the time. This is never going to happen. It already is happening. You, you, no matter what they say, trucks are already doing this. It's being done. And, and I even got to the point where a driver uh, right now, a driver can only drive so many hours in a day. Then he has to take a break. Right. And we call that a split. We have an 8-2 split. We have a 7-3 split where they have to be on for 8 and then take 2 hours off. Well, if you were a driver and I came to you and I said, hey, if you do your 8-2 split and you let the computer drive for 2 hours, I will give you credit for that. Now, you have to pay for this system and put it in your truck. So you can do an extra 100 and 120 miles a day that the truck can do, I, that's more money in your pocket. Will that eventually pay off whatever this system costs? So let's say this system costs $5,000 or $10,000, but I can eventually drive an extra two hours every single day. You're going to see a lot of drivers say, yeah, I'll take that actually. Because yeah, but, run. But, but then they're training the AI to completely replace them. They are, absolutely. But it's one of those things that – it's go- it's coming no matter what. It's coming. It's you're not going to stop it. Okay, it, you can't. If you want to continue, you know, to on, we can't stop it. We have to allow them to do that. So, what does that cause you to do? Now, one of the biggest complaints truck drivers have is home time. They don't want to be over the road drivers. They don't want to be out for three months. They don't want to be doing this. Now I come to you and say, let the, let the robot doesn't complain. I've never heard him complain. He doesn't want to be out there and he's not seeing his wife and kids. I have not yet heard one complain about that yet. Now that could be something in the future, but as of now, they're not complaining. So now I take that robot and I stick him doing it. And then I take that driver and I say, well, why don't you do the local runs? He's going to drop the trailer. I can, you can be home every night and they, and make this much money and still make the money you were making because the robot makes so much less, I can pay you more and still be profit and still turn a profit because of that. I got you. So, so, but you're, you're assuming in that situation that they would, they would basically rule in favor of that human. You go local, we'll still pay you what, what, we, what we believe you were worth. I'm thinking the complete opposite. I'm thinking that the government's going to have to get involved. This is an acceleration to that universal basic income. There will be displacement. I don't know what that time frame is. I'm just looking at the acceleration of everything that's going on locally here in the States and going on around the world. And I will tell you something. Two groups of people I don't mess with are farmers and truckers. Right. So I don't think they're going to go down quietly. Well, the issue is, is that it's going to take time to get to that point with the truck driver, right? Because that local truck driver's got to deal with traffic. He's got to deal with weather. He's got to deal with stuff that the robot isn't going to be prepared for yet. Okay? So for it to get to that point, it, it will. But for it to get to that point, I still need to use, like, okay, I'm looking at this from a business point of view, right? If I can have a robot do this, and think of it as a, a monstrous company, right? Not just a small one. Big picture here. You're looking down on this little ant farm, okay? That's what we are. We're just an ant farm to, to the government, right? 
I still need all these ants. I still need them to, you know, to do something and to be happy until I don't need them. Right. So at this point, I've got to make a way for him to do something to keep him occupied until I don't need him. And right now, that last mile delivery, that FedEx, that UPS, that the, the the guys that are driving around smashing my goods in the back of their tr- little trucks, um, those guys are still going through those packages. They're not in order yet that they can deliver it and get it to my door, right? Yeah, I, I was going to just, just say uh, so that people know, it looks like there's 29 states that allow self-driving trucks. It's pretty there. much the s- same <laughs> ones. Well, there's, there's some as uh, I was kind of surprised Michigan and New York and Maine are on this list, but most of them are sort of in the, in the South. Um, I think also what you're saying about that last mile, you know, really that's kind of consistent with what's been happening in terms of the change over to gig, gig jobs. And so probably a lot, there'll be competition for those jobs that they pay well. Um, and then you're right, you know, the robots, uh, won't complain, but I would miss my robot wife while she's on the road. (laughs) What about, what about my feelings? Yeah. Yeah. What about our feelings? Absolutely. But it's, that's where, like I said, it's going to take time for everything else. And, and drivers, um, I do oversized freight, right? How's that robot going to, going to be able to haul something? I do 20 foot tall, 20 foot wide, uh, with police and buckets and everything else. Um, it's going to, before that happens, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a long time for a robot to be able to handle the type of moves I do, right? That monstrous loads that has curfews and detours and wires, and you're waiting for bucket trucks to lift up wires, and you're waiting for police escorts to stop traffic. Um, that type of stuff, you know, wide loads and, and stuff, is that'll be something that will take. Will a robot ever do it? I don't know, but it's definitely something a truck driver can move into. So you're not just going to be able to get rid of all of them so then you got to think okay why would i want to do that job when i can stay home and make free money right so so that this is why now you're like okay i gotta pay somebody to move that 20 foot tall you know uh, box right or generator i've got to pay someone to do that so i've got to now think about how do i take that person and create that person rather than a truck driver that stays, you know, old truck driver that just wants to collect the money and sit at home. Like, how yeah, do you, it's, it's specialization. Essentially those, that guy who delivers the, um, the windmill, uh, or, you know, the, the giant, you know, the giant power windmill or turbine, um, would be paid even more because it would be such a specialty thing. Right. Um, That's where you look at that and you say, okay, I can pay him more because I, I have to have him. Right. So I can give him money to do that. Um, to the point that you can't, but at that point, that's one of the last things that you're, you know, you're doing. So you have to have there. I have to motivation is money, right? Nobody wants to work for free. Um, for you to do something once or twice. Yeah, I'll do a favor, but for you to do it every single day, we want to be paid. That's just how we are. I need money. And this, this is where, not that I'm not arguing with the fact that, that that's what they want. They all want us home and stuff. But there are things that have to be done, let's say, that's going to take a long time for a robot to be able to do it, that that person's going to have to make really good money to get his butt off the, as we just saw with $600 sitting at home, right? For, for me to get somebody to leave, I now got to pay astronomical money to get somebody to, to count cans or flip burgers. Gotcha. 
Okay. Uh, that was, I really, I wanted to switch gears real quick. Yeah. Um, Cause you're, 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 you know, you're so good on understanding the supply chains and yeah. logistics. I, I wanted to kind of talk to you just what your thoughts were on, in your personal life on kind of things like, you know, we all see things are accelerating, right? Yeah. And, and not, not necessarily in a positive way. Let's, we can all agree on that. How do you view investing in things like such as like gold and silver? Do you think cryptocurrencies, like does cryptocurrencies have, have a place in your personal life? Do you, are you concerned about what's happening in the United States? Are you preparing for when, when you think maybe unrest here, protest, or, or is this something that's on your mind or are you more positive? Do you think we're going to be okay? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there, there's a couple of things you need to, and, and you know, again, I look at everything from the, the eye of logistics and like at the big picture. Okay. So, we have a situation in the country and I've asked this, explained this a couple of times for a country to exist. The people have to have the, the faith in that. Right. And they have to have faith in the core values of a country. Okay. And you tell me if we're, if we're in trouble. All right. So one of the, some of the things you have to believe in is one, you have to believe in your, your law enforcement, right? You, you have to feel that law and order and justice works. Do you guys feel that we're, that's something right now we believe in. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, 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 so I'll just be honest with you. I, I, I do my best not to interact with anybody can lock me up anyway. So, right. So, but overall, we all feel that law enforcement's bad. So we don't have any, any confidence in our law enforcement as a country. Uh, we have to have confidence in our medical fields. How are we on that one? Uh, uh, I think it, it's gone downhill recently. <laughs> you have to have confidence in our, in our education and our schools. You have to, in a, as a country. And we're now showing that that's a problem too, right? Those people are now on the domestic terrorist list if you're a parent and stuff like that. So our, our education, you have to have faith in your military, okay? I'll explain this one in a second. I'm going to come back to that one. And you have to have faith in your dollar, which we do not. So we don't trust our government. We don't trust – and your government. We don't trust our government. We don't trust our, our, our law enforcement. We don't trust our medical. We don't trust our schooling. And we don't trust our dollar. We all feel that the dollar is going to crash, right? We all, that's something. Now the military, our military, we're kind of on that border right now, right? Nobody truly knows what's going on with our military. Um, we have people that believe in that the military is in charge. And I won't, let's say it's a letter of the alphabet. We have people that, you know, the military is all leaving because they don't want to take, you know, the protection area thing. Um, so the military right now is also being attacked right now as we speak because they're coming out and saying that our military is filled with white supremacists, right? That's being said out loud now, okay? That is one of your last things to go down. Once you, the country and the government doesn't, or the people don't have a trust in the military, it's very difficult to keep a country. It's very difficult for people to, to maintain, Okay. So the dollar, well, the problem with the dollar is we did some damage to it. We did a lot of damage to it when we gave $600 and free money to everybody. Okay. Let's say I'm America and you guys were in other countries and you're looking at me and you're holding dollars and you're holding dollars because you want to do business with me and you have to do it in the dollar. Well, when I started giving away a bunch of free money in this country, your dollar went down. 
So here you are in another country saying, hey, this dollar's only worth 70 cents now because your inflation's like 30 cents because you're handing out all this free money and you're printing it and, and all this other stuff. So the only thing, it's a fiat money, right? We know that it's fiat at this point. It's supposed to be backed by oil, but it's fiat. So it's the trust that you, we would pay it back. But once people start to say, hey, why am I bothering to keep this dollar if you knuckleheads keep, I'm, every time I hold it, it keeps going down in price. It's not worth as much anymore. So what happens is other countries start to say, I don't, I'm not holding this. I'd rather do business in the, the, the ruble. I'd rather do business in the one. I'd rather do business in something that isn't just getting, I'm getting slapped in the jaw every time I look at, you know, you guys, your inflation. And, you know, I used to, what I did buy from the United States cost $10. Now it costs 15. Why? And then they start to look in that. The other thing we did was with Ukraine is we just sanctioned the crap out of personal people. And we just took a bunch of people's money. Oregal, uh, or you, you know the word. Um, Oligarchs. Oligarchs. And, and, and we just took their money and said, it's ours now. It's ours now. It doesn't go well with people. Like a bunch of rich people in other countries started seeing other rich people losing their money to the United States because they didn't agree with them. I'm like, whoa, stand by here. I, I'm not going to be holding all your money. I'd rather, because I don't want you taking it. But what happens is, if you guys were, I'm going to make you rich, in, but other countries, big people. What you do is then you send that money back to me. You, you get rid of it. And you don't want to buy anything from me at this point. So you're not, you're just giving it back because you don't want to be holding it. If we were to come in and say, hey, we're now sanctioning India. We're now sanctioning Iran. We're now sanctioning this guy's money because you, you don't want to be caught with that money. That's called hyperinflation. That's pushing it back with and not buying something, not exchanging it for something else. You're just like, take this, take this crap. I don't trust it. Okay. So. The problem with that is who do they trust? Who do they trust? Now, Bitcoin and silver and stuff like that. Um, although silver is good to have, and I am not a financial person, and nobody here is any type of financial advisors. We are just a couple people sitting in a bar, virtual bar, chatting it up. Okay, just want to put that out there. Um, but the problem is I have with silver is a lot of people are like, get silver, get silver, get gold, get silver. During times of conflict, depending on how long they last, food and energy are, are, are your good trading goods. Your currencies. Are your currencies. That's, that's all that's important. Not silver, uh, but foods and energy. How do I heat my house? How do I feed my kids? Okay. Those are your two things that you have to worry about. For, you can have all the silver in the world, but if everybody around you is all thinking the same thing, how do I feed my kids? How do I heat my house? It doesn't matter. Okay. Now, people that have already have their food and their energy full to the brim, they might look to something like silver and gold because that is a that is a currency, right? So we have levels here that people are buying. But when people on the pe people are on the bottom who don't have the food and the energy are buying the silver and the gold, who are you going to sell that to? Who are you going to give that to? Do you know any rich people that aren't worried about food? Do either of you know any rich people that you could say, they're not worried about food and energy. Maybe they'll take my gold and silver, right? And a lot of people don't. They just don't. So 
not that it's not a good investment, um, but when it comes down to it, you can't eat it, right? Now, who needs that silver and gold? Well, the people that need that silver and gold, and I'm breaking a lot of people in half right now. I can already hear the screaming. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is, is that the people that need that gold and silver are the people that I needed to make a transistor. I needed to make a, a you know some type of um, technology. Those are the people that need gold and silver, right? You have to know that. And how do I? And now they're going to set the price because you can't eat it, and I know you can't eat it, right? Now, if a that so the only time that becomes worth anything is if a country goes back to that system. Okay, so if the country says we're going to go back in the gold, okay, cool, good, I got that. That'll work. I now have someone to sell it to because the country has decided. But what if the countries decide to go to something like if you were to Google it now, it's called Fed Now. Fed now is the Fed version of a digital currency backed, but just backed by ones and zeros backed by what they say money is. Okay. Then your gold and silver isn't worth anything. So what, what does a country have to sell? Well, a country has us to sell. If I've got a bigger country, I've got a million people, let's just say, or a or, hundred million people. I'm a medium-sized country. If I've got a billion people, I got a lot of people here to do work and to buy things and do stuff. So then they can start basing it on the, you know, the country and the people and the work and the stuff that you can do for them as a country and business. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Kind of hard to grasp if you, think, if, if you think about it. But when country and, and this is where I think to myself a couple things. Why would you let a billion people come in the borders? I'm, I'm exaggerating my numbers, but why would you let all these people cross the border for free? Why would you do that? Well, a couple reasons. One, they have to sign up for selective service, which means they can be drafted. So how do you get them to sign up for selective service? You give them an ID. You give them a driver's license. You give them this. You give them that. Why are you giving somebody who's undocumented a driver's license? Well, because it's selective service. They're being drafted. And worst case scenario, if I see them on the street and I see, hey, you look 18 to 25, why aren't you in the military? They could pick them up. If times of war, they're going to get off. You go, you're, you're out of here. You're going to do. Well, the other thing too, is that if you were going to enter conflict or you were going to get a digital based currency, you want more, the more people you have in your country, the larger your country's worth. And the in my opinion, the larger your digital currency's worth. Does that make kind of make sense? Well, actually, actually, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, China has been experimenting with the digital currency right. on a very, very similar thing like that. And, and the idea is that each individual will have a certain amount of value assigned to them. Correct. But if they break the law, your a couple of your zeros will fall off. Or right. if you are, a you know, political uh questionably politically you may not uh get re right. your card won't work right Indi- um, in- individualized monetary and fiscal policy for individuals correct yeah. and, and that's where and and this is what to me because I, I i do a lot of like it, einstein used to have his thought experiments right where he just sat there and did nothing but think and, been, and did a whole bunch of processes right well for me that's almost like every day not that i'm einstein but the fact that i've got to constantly look at all these moving parts every single day just to get this done. So when I sit down and think about this stuff, my first thought is, okay, 
Why would you bring all these people in? What sense does that make? Well, it's going to lower wages. Well, it's not going to lower wages as much as robots. So what, what, what are you doing, right? Why would you do that? And then you look back and you say, okay, well, one of the reasons we did that was before World War II, we did the same thing because somebody had to work. Somebody had to work the farms, move the food, do the stuff while other people went to war, right? People die. So we got to fill those people quickly. Where are we going to fill them? And, and you know what I mean? Well, let's fill them with people that have military age, 20, 18 to 25, so they can either be drafted or they can be working for us. And they're good. That's also a good working age. It's not just a good military age. 18 to 25 is a good labor age. You know what I mean? I don't want to bring somebody that's 55 in because I not so much put him to farming compared to somebody who's 18 to 25. Well, and I think, too, what what we're seeing, in, at least in the U.S. economy, is you know, the, the amount of jobs that are being created are again, in sort of low wage, low skill jobs, the food industry can't hire anybody. The, um, you know, even in, in service jobs or people kind of came back for a while and have left, uh, to, to work part-time from home. So we can't, our country is such a service designed industry mm -hmm. that it can't run without somebody in those jobs. And, um, you know, they might be able to get a robot to make the fries, but they can't get a robot to, to clean and, and do all of that yet. So that's really the, you know, the, the, the core of it. That's um, and you bring in that person, you say, okay, well, how much can I pay you? Well, that person can survive on a lot less, let's just say it, it, to be able to do, to, to work and do that job other than that robot. So in regards to where I see, you know, gold and silver and, and, and in the Bitcoin and stuff like that, to me, I looked a little bit into Bitcoin, right? And the Bitcoin process, and maybe I'm wrong, but everything seems to point to this. The process of mining for Bitcoin, do you know what you're actually doing? I think you're just running like an, an algorithm over and over and over and over, essentially. How would I pay you for that? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I I think initially what people did is they just bought six or seven really powerful laptops, turned them on, went for a walk and helped to come back, found a Bitcoin. And did but what are you what is somebody paying you for? Uh the energy use possibly. Well I, I mean yeah. remember that your cost associated with that, especially now, is gonna be all the energy, all the energy that you have to use. That's that's the only I'm, that's the only thing I could think yeah. of. Let me explain a couple things, right? And this is gonna <laughs> black pill time. Okay, so um, one of the things that happens is at the energy, the amount of energy use, right? But the amount of energy use is a positive, but also what what are you actually mining for? So what you're actually looking for is a hash, H A S H. A hash is a bit of information. All right. Now when you send an email. It's, it's encrypted. There's an encrypted email you send to me for me to get this link. It's encrypted. Normally it's a hundred, you know, it could be used to be 64. Then it was 128. Then it was 256, which means there's a 250 and I'm just breaking it down. Simple. There's 256 code padlock to get into this email. You got it. There's 256, you know, little turns you got to make to get into this email. Right? So a hash is a bit of information. So to me, I, as you start to look into the Bitcoin and, and the stuff like that and, and what you're actually looking for and what you're being paid for, if it was created by allegedly the CIA, which are stuff, whatever. What if you were breaking codes? What if they were paying you to watch other people? 
to break into the emails, to break into the text messages, to break into this stuff. And every time you get something right that's worth something, they say, boop, there's a token. That's your now. Well, do you have any evidence? Well, back a long time ago, Surdy, um, the center of extraterrestrial back in the 1990s, they put out something and you can look this up that they said, look, we need some computing power to search for extraterrestrials, but we don't have it, man. So anybody that's got a personal computer, if you're not using it at night, we'll give you this software. If we can log in and use your processing power to do some stuff with it, the government went in. And use people's stuff to be able to do whatever they did. Now, were they searching for extraterrestrials? I don't know. Okay. But people would use their computers and leave it on. And they, they were hoping that, you know, something would be found and eat, they'd find ET and all this other stuff. So they left things on. Well, they got rid of that program. But it's what I, and the reason for that is it's not too much for the, for the government or somebody to come in and say, look, we want you to spy on these people, but we can't tell you you're spying. So we'll pay you for you to process, to do all these things, to break this code and give us that email. Now we hope because some Bitcoin's worth more than other Bitcoins, right? So now you're looking at, well, you broke it's into like a dollar and some other, th there are some variations of it now. Yes. Right. So what, what's the variation? Well, there's variation if it's somebody's email of importance or somebody's email who's not important. And I'm just using email. It could be anything. It could be a text message. It could be anything that's encrypted. So, when you start to kind of th thought that process, to me, it made more sense that you're using this energy. Now, the other aspect, and this is lovely, is that if I'm a nuclear power plant, I produce so much electricity. I can't turn that off. So if you don't use it, it costs me money to basically give it to, to the power plant to not use so if you keep putting up windmills and you keep putting up solar panels, if the wind's blowing and the solar's going, that's great but you know, for them. But it's not good for me because I, it takes me two days to turn this thing off and turn it back on again. I'm now giving you electricity for what? It's got to go someplace. It's got to be used someplace because you're producing it. You can only hold so much. It's... I, I, at some point, I'm going to overload circuits if I don't give you, if I don't stop, right? Well, that's where everybody's like, well, you know, we need to go. This is the funny part. I love this. All these people that say we need to go wind and we need to go solar, you're actually going natural gas. Because when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, you can turn natural gas on like this. You can turn it off like this. You can turn it on like this. You can go to your stove, and if it's a natural gas stove, you turn the thing and Click, 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 that. Poof, you got a fire, right? So you're actually going, that's why oil companies are like, yeah, because when you drill for oil, you get natural gas. They're like, yeah, we'll back this solar stuff because you're still going to need us when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. I'm, you know what I mean? So that's still being used. But for me, Bitcoin, the, for the research that I've done, was you, you are out there breaking, you're not just running things for nothing. Who does that? Who pays you to do that? Somebody would pay the, you. The government. Well, no, sometimes you're right. But the government would also pay you to break into some email. They would pay you to break into my emails. They pay you to do that. I was going to just ask you, uh, it kind of, uh, I was thinking about this. How does the shipping industry um, think about uh, cryptocurrencies? Are, are people using it to pay for 
you know, world shipping, is it, is it popping up? How's it being used? Um, at least in shipping, I have not, I have not seen anybody ask me for it or anybody um, be willing to take it at this point. Um, I think it's one of those things that because you're, you, a lot of stuff is dealt internationally. You're dealing with obviously the SWIFT and these exchange, and there is a world currency, right? And that world currency um, because there are tariffs, there are, you know, there are taxes. There's a lot of stuff that uh, countries are not going to try to invade by using Bitcoin at this point, right? Because that's going to cause a huge problem. So at at this point that I know of, and unless, you know, it's it's not being used. My And my thing is I'm not a Bitcoin guy. Um, if, if all heck were to break loose, um, food and energy, right? So I'm a firewood and food guy before I'm a Bitcoin guy. It, it just, you know, in that aspect, is it something that's going to be coming down from down the road? Yes. But the issue is, why would a government allow anybody to use something as currency in their country? Like, why would somebody, if I'm a country of the United States, why would I possibly let you use something other than the dollar to as a currency in my country? I wouldn't, you know, countries are like, what, are you kidding me? No, use mine. I, I, how do I tax you in Bitcoin? Uh, and this is why I also think, why would they let you do this? Why would they let you make these exchange as a currency if they can't tax it and 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 oversee it? That's why I'm kind of. Hey, I mean, you br- you bring up some very great points, and that's that's why we wanted to do this speakeasy, speak freely, you know, freely series because we we want to hear all different sides of the arguments see how people think about it you know you're somebody who believes in having real assets food and energy there's other people who are big believers in cryptocurrencies diehards people who just love their silver and their gold people who just love equities people who just love cash you know everybody has their position and it's good for the people just to hear other thoughts and then think a little bit deeper so the problem is want to send me silver and gold I- i'm cool with it <laughs> we don't we don't have listen we don't have any fans who, who are sending you that, my, right? yeah i i'm gonna be after the after the crash i'm gonna be holding all the dogs so i yeah. will have all i'll have all the power that's basically how it's gonna work <laughs> yeah so say people need comfort right that's right Kettle buddies. So Sage, uh, this was an awesome interview. I, I did want to touch on on one more thing. Um, so I, I know for you, it's important. Like you're you're a big believer in. I guess I, I don't know how to word it properly, but one thing that you don't like is misinformation. Correct. So I, I also know. Well, I've, I found this out from you. I don't know all the details about, but I guess you do sometimes get a hard time whether it's trolls or what's going on. So what what's going on with your channel, your fans? Is um, have have you have you gotten into arguments with fights with anybody? Like what what's the truth? What's going on? Are you are you somebody who goes out there and attacks people? Are you somebody are you are you email are you, you spamming people? Are you what are, what are you doing? What what's the trouble you've gotten? I got no problem going down this road. So uh, real quick. So Sage News is based on um, the, the best research I can find, the most I can dig up, and, and from the points of view that I see and from the people I contact. If I don't know, I've reached – I have doctors, PhD doctors. I have medical doctors. I've, I've messaged. I have um, a bunch of people. If I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll contact people until it makes sense. I'm a huge person in regards to critical thinking and using common sense and using your brain. Um, the reason, you know, other countries are, um, it's 
first world countries and, and far superior because of the education and the knowledge and the stuff that they're going with your brain. Your brain's very, it's very important. It, you need to be able to think, right? If you can't think, well, then you'll be used to lift heavy objects. Good for you. So the other thing is you have to be able to use critical thinking and common sense. But the the, the issue with that, it's very difficult nowadays to be able to figure out what's real and what's not and what's propaganda. And we got to the point where we believe nothing. We literally believe nothing. I did a poll where I think I had about a thousand people and 86 percent said that if the government said we were being invaded and that China had uh, that the Russian military, or the China military has just landed on our shores, they would not believe it. I wouldn't believe it. That's the problem. So at some point, if I'd almost believe that, because if the government's li- lying about, you know, us being attacked by a country, we've got a lot more. Of the, you know what I mean? At some point. So one of the things that um, I was going to do to, to, to with another channel was to he allegedly uh, wanted to be more like my channel where I bring as much truth and, and back up as much information as I possibly can. To the point where people are like, dude, we get it. Stop it. And I'm still bringing more. Right. I'm like, okay, here's this article. Here's this story. Here's this white paper. Here's this think tank. Here's this person. So at that point, I'm that guy. That's what I bring with my research. Well, after another channel didn't want to go that route and they wanted to push things that could be easily debunked with a little bit of thinking and a little bit of common sense, uh, I basically got hooked up with um, another channel, Old Beer Condemned and watch the channel and stuff like that and realize that it's very difficult. And I've explained this a couple of times. You can't judge a book by its cover. If you want to know about the other channel that I'm hooked up with, which is cold beer condemned, you really got to read the book. You really got to see what he's saying and not just look at the cover because the cover will scale will scare the hell out of you. You're, you're going to look at the cover and be like, dude, I don't want nothing to do with this guy, man. Forget this. I'm not reading this author's book. But if you read the book, you'll realize that the story inside is extremely important. So um, because of that, people have decided that everybody's opinion, it's okay to have an opinion. All right? We uh, it scares me the level of intelligence and the level of common sense that we've reached. Uh, lack of critical thinking um, and lack of the ability to be able to understand reality. If I were to tell, if you were to tell me the sky is purple and I go outside and I show you the sky is blue and I can explain why the sky is blue and I have, you know, all this evidence proving the sky is blue and it is not okay for you to think the sky is purple. It's, it's not. It's not okay for if a teacher or a student were to go to you uh, and let's say you're a teacher and you say two plus two is four. Okay. It is not okay for that student to believe it's 77. That's not okay. We would not let that student go. That student would have to be something would be at that point would be wrong. Right. You can prove two plus two is four. And that's what teachers do. They teach and they show this. Well, we've gotten to the point that everybody feels that opinions are facts and you're right to your opinion, even though it can be proven, even though other people are showing you that, no, a two plus two is actually four. And here's a bunch of stuff that has become an extremely dangerous thing in society. We are literally destroying society by doing that. Okay. 
you're destroying the thought process of people. Uh, you're making it where no one can tell anybody they're wrong. And unfortunately, we learn from mistakes. We learn from being wrong. So if we never are told we're wrong, we're never going to learn, right? I only get better if you check my, if you do my homework, I turn in my homework and you say you have four wrong, go figure out why those four were wrong. That's when I truly say, okay, why were these four wrong? What did I do wrong? I bet you I remember those four on the next test because I went back and figured out why I was wrong. So one of the things that I do and everybody's like, oh, you bring your trolls. I don't, I don't have trolls. I don't have people. Um, I don't go into the into the chat and troll because I don't type well and I spell everything wrong. I will click the link. If I believe that you are out there or I can show that what you are literally telling people is not true, I will jump on there and correct you. And I don't have a problem with it. And a lot of people are like, well, who are you to do this? Well, I feel that by not correcting you, I would do allow more damage to be done to our country and society as we know it than by me jumping on and correcting you. And that seems to be a problem with people because people are used to being able to say whatever they want and nobody jumps and clicks the link and tells them they're wrong. So because I'm, I'm a mean person, um, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming to destroy channels and we all need to get along and we all need to do this. But the problem is it's not about getting along. It's about the fact that if we all going around thinking, that two plus two equals 77 and it doesn't the people that actually know two plus two is four are going to eventually control us. They're eventually going to, we're going to have to be submissive to them. And that's why countries, the, the highest IQ country would be China, Japan, Korea, the, the Asian countries that literally drive themselves to be smarter and intelligence is an extremely important thing. Okay. I mean, I really wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Um, you know, we, we just want to provide people with ability to just kind of speak their minds, uh, allow people to be objective on it. Dan, you had some thoughts? No, I, I, I mean, listen, I, I understand exactly what he's, what he's talking about. And, and YouTube is a, is a place where uh, facts sometimes can't be facts <laughs> if, if they hurt your feelings and, and, a, and a lot of, a lot of that, but uh, yeah, it's um I just, when we had uh, Josh Thompson on, we asked him a similar question because he's such a con contrarian mm -hmm. and people had an issue with him. And so for you, I just, uh, I really appreciate you, um, you know, putting your side out there. Uh, it's, it's, and then, good. no, and that, that's all I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you for being open with us and, and, and being able to do that. I know I kind of put you on the spot, but. No, I love uh, I, I, you get, that's the best part of me. It's like, I don't, I'll debate anything, uh, but and well, not anything. If I agree with you, I don't, but I'm not really on the spot with this in any way. Like I'm not uncomfortable with what I'm doing. Right. Um, and people are like, well, what gives you the right to do that? If you're on a, and I look at it this, I have a public platform. Okay. I have follow, I have, you know, I have about 14,000 or 13,000, whatever people, right? Or if you have a thousand people, you're on a public platform that other people are now going to watch this and listen to this and see what you have to say, right? If what you're saying is completely incorrect or destructive to society 
And what I mean by that is there are people out there waiting for special Nasara money. I don't know if you're familiar with that, right? That is never coming. The free money, the $3 million, everybody's going to get a million dollars in the med beds and all this other stuff and magical potions and everything. It's not coming anytime soon, right? You're not going to lay down in a bed tomorrow and be cured of all your diseases and cancers and stuff, right? And people are making money by giving that out to people. Um, they're making money, or and it's not even about the making money portion. It, they're legitimately taking money from people and for stuff that's never going to happen. And now people are waiting, and they're waiting for this, and they're waiting for JFK to come back, and they're waiting for this to come back, and this to come back. And it's like, other. I talk to a lot of people in other countries, and they laugh at us. I mean, I, I, I spoke with somebody uh, um, from Africa. He's like, they believe this? What is wrong with them? And he's like, why would they, why would they do this? Why would anybody, you know? And so it's, it, it's at a point here that if you're saying something that isn't true, or, or I say it like this a lot of times too. If you say my name, I'm coming to your show. That's, that's just it. And that's why people are like, don't say anybody's name. Don't say it because if I'm clicking that link. I don't, and this is where for me, I'm not trying to shut down channels. I'm not trying to destroy people. I'm not doing any of that. I am literally coming to your show. I don't, I'm, I'm on my way. And, and if I don't hear it, some one of my people will hear it and, and they don't tell me to go. I'm just like, I'm out of here. Hide <laughs> your kids, hide your wife, say just coming for you. That's <laughs> But I, but I have no problem going over and saying, no, this isn't going to happen. Let me explain. This is what the truth is. Or why would you do this? You know, and, and even the situation that we had on, you know, and I don't mind mentioning names because it is even the situation that we had on, on, on Christina's show. All I did was type in, Hey, now, because that's my, that's what I type in. Hey, now I type that in just because, like I said, I watch and it's nothing that um, I'm not always w just watching just to come on your show. Right. Because I didn't see that that, but it turned into here's this and here's that, and the trolls are here and this and that and that. It's like I don't bring anybody. I can handle my own. I got. I don't need. You know. What I mean. Now I'm associated with them, and I would protect them, and they would protect me. But I'll click the link if there's something because you have an open link. You ha you have a link there, so somebody's going to come on that link that might not agree with what you're saying, and when somebody does that and they don't like it. It, it, you're a troll and it's just the fact that we can't just put out headlines that we have no idea if they're true we can't just give people hope what we call hopium because you're feeding them a drug that once that that reality hits they're going to hit a withdrawal and i legitimately did that and showed the possible what could happen there are people that feel trump is coming back tomorrow because the military is going to bring him in. And if he doesn't, they're not going to be able to mentally deal with it if he doesn't. And it's becoming that dangerous of a situation. And I've spoken with a doctor, a medical doctor about this very thing that, that, that broke it down in regards to loss of control. So in regards to that situation, like I said, I have no, I don't threaten anybody. I'm always respectful when I come on. Um, I just say, look, <laughs> This isn't true. This is wrong. And I have no problem calling somebody out. If you're going to say it, you have the right to say it. I have the right to say you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not right. And I can prove it. And that's what I do. 
Well, Sage, we really appreciate you coming coming on here and it's, uh, sitting with us for an interview. Um, I thought I thought it was great. We got a lot of great content. You hit on a lot of a lot of really great points that I think a lot of people aren't speaking about or not thinking about them in different ways. And you also spoke about things that I haven't heard you talk about when you talked about your your views, you know, on the dollar and gold and Bitcoin and some of your thoughts on that. We really appreciate you coming on here, spending time with us. Did you want to leave our audience with anything before before we got out of here? Yeah, so the only thing I, I, I do want to leave the audience is, is the same thing is if you know somebody is wrong and you can prove it and you and and to a to a T like two plus two equals four, don't leave them with not understanding. Don't leave them. If you can fix that, I think we owe it to each other as a society to be able to go in there and say, hey, this isn't right. You know, this isn't right. This we need to be able to educate. We need to be able to teach. We need to be able to lead and explain and help. And unfortunately, some people now, of course, don't be a jerk about it. Be respectful, but don't leave somebody not able to know what the reality is and what the truth is. If you can legitimately prove it, we all have to kind of teach each other. You know, we're all searching for the truth, but we don't want to listen to the to the people who know it if it doesn't fit our truth. But you, that does that means you still have to at least bring it to the people if you can prove it and do your research and make sure it's true. Like figure it out. You know, how do I know two plus two is four? Let me show you. And this is what I I hope everybody would do in a polite manner, because for us to progress as society, for us to progress and get out of this system, we all need to be educated by the educated. And we unfortunately, YouTube is a land of being educated by the uneducated. And we have to break that cycle to be able to continue on and be able to hopefully get out of China's eye and, and fist and, and be, you know, stuff like that. Hey, well, we really appreciate you being on here. Uh, everybody who's watching, we'll catch you all on the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sage. Thank you very much.